This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. This is the podcast where I sit down with an extraordinary person and share their story. They may have overcome some kind of adversity or they might still be on that journey. But the stories that will make you laugh, cry and hopefully feel that little bit inspired. Now on today's podcast, I'm joined by a very impressive young woman, thriving in her individuality. Tilly Lockie is a teenager model and presenter and an ambassador for the Open Bionics, a company which develops medical devices that enhance the human body. At just 15 months old, Tilly contracted a deadly strain of meningitis and her devastated parents were told that she would not survive. But Tilly, well, she was stronger than that. Her tiny body fought off the virus, but as it had to work so hard, Tilly lost both of her hands in the process. As she was growing into the strong young woman that she is today, Tilly's parents supported her in every way they could, but the prosthetics available to amputee children were just not supporting her in the way she needed. Tilly now wears what's called a hero arm, the world's first clinically approved 3D printed bionic arm, taking Tilly to serious superhero status. So I am so honoured to virtually meet her and have her on the podcast today. Hello Tilly. Hello, Katie. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. How did it feel hearing, you know, that's a real sort of brief intro there about your past. How did it feel hearing it? The thing is, I mean, I am very, very lucky to have not remember anything that happened. I was 15 months old, but I feel like it it definitely kind of shaped me into the person I am here today. And all I know is that ever since I was one years old, I've always really wanted to be determined and persevere in anything. And I think I have little Tilly to thank for that. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it, you saying about not remembering? Because I think when all of us look back on our childhood, we think we remember certain things, but maybe actually that's just because we've seen photos and like parents have shared those memories. When do you think you first became aware of your life and your situation? What do you think your earliest memory was? Um, I feel like the point where I probably realised that I was a little bit different was maybe when, you know, you're like three, four and you go into like the park for the first time or like four or five. I always remember we'd go to the park. I mean, I've got three sisters and we'd all just kind of go to have fun, you know what I mean? And meet friends and run off into the sunset with these other four-year-olds who we just became best friends with on that day. I always found that the other kids, including my sisters, could just 
bump into somebody and be best friends straight away. Whereas with me, there was always kind of that elephant in the room. Mm. That is the fact that she doesn't have hands. And it's not that that was really a bad thing so much, but something that I did notice when I was really young is the fact that I was kind of having to explain myself Mm -hmm. all the time. And that was something that I noticed that nobody else was having to do. And I think that was the point in my life where I kind of realized, yeah, I'm a little bit different. But at the same time, I didn't really look at other people's hands and be like, I want them. Why don't I have them? I'm just kind of like, they've got hands. I don't have hands. Like somebody would have brown hair and somebody would have blonde hair. But I feel like like I feel like that was the first time I kind of realized that my difference was quite a bit larger than just having brown hair or blonde hair. You didn't have a choice. You didn't you didn't choose this life. This this is the, this is your life and this is how you're navigating your way through it you know but Mm -hmm. I I suppose the way you talk it it is inspiring to me because I feel like the way you're talking about your childhood is acceptance just always accepting what is and making the best of what you have do you think you were always this way and always able to be positive or actually were there lots of dark times along with that too I think especially when I'm I'm 16 now and I feel like the time that I was kind of the worst, I was also going through like a big operation on my leg. That was a six month procedure. And so there was a lot going on. I feel like that was kind of the point where I was definitely my lowest. Like I've got journal entries and all sorts, but I've always thought I've always been like quite a good therapist to myself, actually. Like I love writing things down. So if I ever feel it any certain way, I'll just write it all down and get it out. You know what I mean? Because I think my mindset has always just been, I am who I am now. I am how I am now. And that's something that I, you physically can't change. Mm. Like you can't change the past. So I just don't feel the need to be sad about anything and sit in my bed and cry about something that I can't change because you only get one life Mm -hmm. and I don't want to waste it doing that. And I don't know, I don't know if you get the same thing, but a lot of people have kind of said, oh my gosh, you are so inspirational. And the the way they kind of take on that is you're so inspirational to even try to be happy in your life because if I was in your situation I would just be depressed and I would just be like I think my life is over and people always said that all the time and I was like yeah but you can't physically change what happened so why not just make the most out of what you do have and the lessons that it taught you to make you who you are today and that's kind of the way I've always looked at it. Yeah it's really interesting you say that because I sometimes think it's a bit of a unintended backhanded compliment to say oh you're so inspiring because Sometimes I interpret that as that person's like, oh my God, I couldn't, I don't want that life. I couldn't deal with that. Like, can't, yeah. can't believe she can deal with that because I couldn't, I wouldn't mm-hmm. be happy like that. And and that that's how it feels that also my, my crap life makes you feel better, you know? So yeah. It, and I know it's not intended like that by some people. And I don't know if you feel like this, but sometimes when people say, oh, I don't know how you do it. Sometimes I think to myself, but that's the thing. No one knows how they would do something until there's, that's the only choice. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's until you're in that situation, until you've been dealt that card, that what you do, you either give up on life or like you said, you acknowledge there is only one life and you go mm-hmm. out there and you start building it, and which just sounds like what you've done. Yeah, I mean, I'm very, very lucky to get to speak to like many people um, through Open Burnix. I'm editing all the crowdfunding campaigns and everything at the minute. And so I'm always getting to hear everybody's stories about how they lost their hands, but also their experience growing up. And it's it's like really, really relatable. And a lot of people have said that in certain occasions in my life and in all these other people's like how 
have you been that strong? How can you do that? But like you say, you just, in the moment, you don't really have a choice. And so you have to be strong. Absolutely. I think also what you do for me is you kind of own your own story. You own your situation. So like when I was looking at you online, you're, you know, you're very into fashion. You're very well-dressed to the point yeah. where I freaked out about my top today. <laughs> so, oh my God, <laughs> she looks so good. What, I'm rushing around getting ready. Oh, I've not delivered today, like I must say. <laughs> I, well, I'm kind of glad. We're, we're, no one can see us, but we're both kind of makeup free and just in hoodies. <laughs> yeah. Um, but when, when I was looking at pictures of you, I was like, you know, I have to remind myself, you are just 16, you know, and 16 and being a female in 2022 is, is tough right? And it's, it's actually the start of your life. It's whoever you are, disability, no disability, it's finding your identity, it's establishing yourself. And I was like, she, you know, she owns her own story. You don't hide any part of you. And I'm not just talking about your disability. Like I can see you online for the authentic you, and that's difficult for lots of people. And, you know, you talked about the work you're doing, um, helping others. And I, and I feel like showing up in the way that you do and displaying yourself proudly, I feel like just that in itself must really be helping those other people that relate to you. I think so, hopefully. I mean, honestly, it's it's the highlight of my day whenever I receive like a message, and I have before, just of anybody saying, you know, you've given me so much confidence. I'm so happy I found your page. It's finally something I can relate to because when you have got very specific disability like that, you can feel like you're the only one in the world. Mm -hmm. And there are like different groups and things. I mean, I never really felt the need because like I said, I didn't look at other people and think, gosh, I'm so different. You've got hands and I don't. And like, that's such a massive thing to me. It wasn't. But for a lot of people it is. And you can feel like incredibly alone in it all. And so I never really saw so many people with the same disability as me. And I'm very lucky in the sense that I've got such a brilliant family who made me feel no different to anybody. But that's not always the case. And I... All I'm doing now is trying to be like that platform and that person that I would have wanted to see and look up to when I was little. Also, it's just because I find it fun mm. and I love connecting with people like that. I think that's like the most beautiful thing about social media, in my opinion, is the amount of people that you can just reach out to with like a simple click or a post on a story. And that's what's really, really beautiful in it all like it's like we're all actually really connected and it's just a little community that is really uplifting that's all I want to achieve and I feel like you have that same sort of thing going on yeah I totally agree with you um I before like Instagram I I mean I never ever in my everyday life bump into people with facial disfigurement or burns you know if I want to mm -hmm. meet people like that it's through my charity and, and I have to seek it out and arrange it but if I go online and want to see other people's reality that looks like mine I can search mm -hmm. a hashtag and see loads of people who've had their faces burnt their bodies burnt with acid attacks and I can feel like you said not isolated not alone and know there's yeah. loads of us everywhere you know so yeah I, I totally agree with you about social I'm thinking now like we should actually I know you don't what's that? Oh my god! I'm like, who, Buddy, who's at the door? Buddy, get in! And then I'm like, I don't have oh, a dog. No dog. one's at the door. I don't own a dog. Why am I thinking I own a dog? <laughs> Buddy, get in! Gosh, him. what sort of dog <laughs> <Sorry>. is it? <laughs> he's a miniature cockapoo, but he's not very miniature. I was going to say he sounds massive, but he, he sounds like so aggressive. But he's not. <laughs> <I promise. laughs> 
Now, I know you said you don't remember much because obviously you were a baby, but I'm just thinking about, you know, me and you were talking about disability, we're talking about meningitis, and a lot of people won't understand the medical journey of that. You know, people see online, oh, if your baby has a rash, check their body. And that that's that's kind of the basic sort of knowledge of meningitis. But are you able to take me back to, to when you were 15 months old and, and sort of tell me medically what actually happened to you at that point in your life? Yeah, at first it was kind of just flu-like symptoms. It wasn't a big deal. It always starts off like that or a lot of the time it can do and you think nothing of it, right? Because it's just like, oh, she's got cold, she's got flu, it's fine. Um, My mum describes it as when I went to bed, I was in my cot and I wasn't really crying or anything, but I was like whimpering. And that was something she hadn't heard me do so much before. So like the incredible woman that she is, she was like, came in to see me, make sure I was okay. She picked me up. She helped me feel better. And then she put me back and let me go to sleep again. Um, And then she went to bed too. But then later on, I was whimpering again and she went to see me. And that's when she picked me up and I started throwing up everywhere. Still at this point, it didn't really feel like such a big deal, you know? It's just that she's a little bit ill. She's under the weather. I know a lot of my symptoms the next day. They were like, oh, she seems to be getting better. She seems to be being fine because I was at my Nana's house and I was so lost in, like, the TV screen and, like, that content. And so my granddad was like, oh, she seems to be perking up. You know, she's been watching In the Night Garden. She's having a great time, like... She's, she's just enjoying the TV, right? But later on, we actually found out that a transfixed stare is a big symptom of meningitis septicemia. And so looking back on it, that's definitely what was going on there. And my mum did actually take me to the doctors at one point and I was diagnosed with an ear infection mm-hmm. and sent home. And my mum had another daughter at the time, my older sister, but neither of us had ever had an ear infection before. She didn't really know to the extent of how bad that could be. But deep down in her mind, she was like, this, this has got to be more than an ear infection. Like, are you sure? And she had she had these doubts, but he's a doctor and she's not going to question his like expertise. So she was just like, okay, mm-hmm. she's got an ear infection. Um, and then the kind of trigger of it where it was like, wow, she's she's got this and it's really, really serious and we need to get her to hospital was when my Nana was changing my nappy and she came across the sepsis rash and that's actually like the last symptom before everything kicks off and you should really be in way before that. But my Nana was changing my nappy. She stumbled across this rash. She called for my mum. My mum had one look at that and she just knew straight away what it was and she got Mm. on the phone to the hospital calling an ambulance and they were trying to ask her all these questions you know like trying to figure out if it was actually that but my mom was just like listen I'm more than happy to answer any questions but just tell me you're on the way because she knew at that point that it was just a race against time because it is at that point and you know what I'm a huge believer in everything happens for a reason and the the only reason my mom knew straight away that this was meningitis septicemia and she had to act really, really quick was because about like three weeks before that, she'd actually stumbled across an article in a newspaper about another little girl and she'd ended up losing 
all four of her limbs and it was basically right. documenting her experience with septicemia and what to look out for. And my mum, she tells me, like, vividly remembers at the time thinking, this isn't an article that I want to read because it's sad and you don't want to ever even imagine that happening to anybody, especially not your own children. But she just mm. knew as a mother of two little girls now, I need to be made aware. And she actually saw the image of the septicemia rash. So as soon as she saw that in person and in her own reality, on her own daughter, she just knew straight away what it was. And she knew that she had to act fast right then. And I mean, who knows, had my mom not seen that article, if I'd even be alive here today, because it was that in the moment where she was just like, I need to just run and I need to do everything as quick as possible. She Would she have known the severity of it then? That shows you the power of sharing your story. Like it literally, that the person that shared that, that saved your life, you know? Literally, 100%, yeah. And I'm so grateful that they were able to share their story, but also it makes me like really, really want to share my story all the time. And I'm always like on World Meningitis Day, I've got like this long story highlights about like everything, mm-hmm. what to look out for, my own experience and things like that, because you literally never know when anything like that could happen. And it's a terrifying thought. And a lot of people say, oh, you should have got the job or something. The job wasn't actually available at the time. And since me and my mum had actually done loads of campaigning to actually get that available, and that is available now, it is that it is out there. I've had it. Um, I think it's a part of the baby jobs now, but right. past a certain age, obviously people didn't get it. So if you haven't got that, then maybe you should look into it. Yeah. Um, that's available now, so yeah. And your parents were told, really, you know, I've got two kids, I've got two girls, and your parents were told, <laughs> really... He's desperate to be in this podcast. <laughs> but he's shush. Um, yeah, so your your parents were told really the sentence that no parent ever wants to hear. You know, it's every parent's worst nightmare that actually you weren't going to make it. Yeah. So as soon as I got to the hospital, there were already like 12 medics, like important people ready to like kind of take me in. And right away you could just see like physically my health deteriorating so much I was just so out of it and I was only one as well I was just like tiny and I was placed on this bed and like these 12 doctors at the same time were like cutting my clothes up and sticking tubes everywhere and I mean I couldn't only imagine what that must have been like for my parents to see they told that to they said that to my mom that I was gonna die and she just started throwing up everywhere mm. and I know it was such an intense time that my mom actually really struggled for years afterwards yeah like with lack of emotion she just couldn't see anything the same and I think for her as well she just felt really really useless which she shouldn't have because she's literally the reason I'm alive here today. But in the moment, she was just like, what can I do? I'm just kind of waiting. And I feel like that was the most painful bit for her. I can totally understand her trauma. You know, it's a, a real a trauma for her. And, like, you know, as a mum, the, the minute you you know you're pregnant, you promise yourself you'll always look after that little that little boy, that little girl, and you, and whatever yeah. or whoever they are, you'll, you'll always be there for them to keep them safe. And... You know, you talked about her feeling helpless and, and and not being able to do anything. And it's amazing how she channeled that frustration because actually she made it her life's work, you know, to support you in this recovery, in this new life. And I read that she said to you when you were in hospital, 
that she, you will have hands again. You, she promised you and she never gave up and she kept her promise. I mean, what an amazing woman and what an amazing relationship between the two of you. Yeah, I mean, we're super, super close. Um, that was before I went in to get my actual amputations. She just promised me, like, if there's, there's one thing I can control, it's prosthetics and making sure that's available in the future. And so before I went in to actually get the amputations done, that's when she kind of held me close. And she said, I will do everything that I can to give you the best life ever. And I promise that I'll get your hands back again. And I mean... I have them have them now yeah <laughs> so she she's clearly done she's done really really well and I appreciate her so much like I owe her my life because I fully believe had she not acted as quick as she did I would have been dead like it's it's her doing that my mindset is as good as it is I mean I got my first prosthetic from the NHS when I was like but about two, mm-hmm. literally like a year after I got out of hospital and everything was fine I got my first prosthetic and that wasn't great, I'm not going to lie. And we didn't have a, a really pleasant start to like kind of the prosthetic industry, if you can call it that. Why is that? It was what like handed to then? us. Well, first of all, the kind of design of it, it wasn't like technical or anything. It was basically a tube to put your arm in and then there was kind of like three prongs and they were tied together by elastic bands. And basically the way it worked is there was this hook on the thumb and that would connect to a harness and that would go over kind of my upper body mm-hmm. as a two-year-old. And the way I would kind of move my shoulders and like my, my upper arms would pull on strings, which would then pull on the thumb and then it would be like back and forth, like a pinching movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt a bit like a puppet, I think. Mm-hmm. But one kind of distinctive thing that wasn't great is the fact that they gave us the prosthetic my first ever prosthetic it was given to us in like a brown paper bag as if something to be like really discreet about yeah, and like that's how people drink alcohol on a park bench or something yeah that's like, it's it a shameful like, thing like it seemed like really sus and we my mom wasn't too keen on that idea at yeah. all like we weren't trying to hide anything there was no shame in it so that to us was really really strange it just wasn't moving with the times at all. And some people wear these prosthetics and they get along really well with them. But for me, I just, and my mom as well, we just knew, come on, there's got to be something better out there. Mm-hmm. And even just the whole experience, like why are you giving it to people in a brown paper bag? You know what I mean? Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, not, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? No. Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. 
So after that, you challenged this and you said, this, this, there must be better. You know, you had, you had the confidence to challenge it and say, there must be better. I didn't really know what was going on and what we were trying to achieve. And so after that, we had the idea, we, we went down the really like realistic route because at least then I can look at a hand and it'll look like a hand and I'll know that this is a replacement of a hand, you know? And we thought that would work. And the NHS one was free. And these ones, the most expensive pair that I had of the realist prosthetics were about 36 grand Mm -hmm. so that was when all the fundraising was going on and we needed an awful lot of help because I'm not rich we're not a rich family Mm. and we don't just have 36 grand to buy a hand and also when you're a kid you're constantly growing Mm -hmm. so you'll you'll get your 36 grand pair of hands and then you'll grow like next year and you'll need to get a new one because it doesn't fit you anymore Mm -hmm. and so it was very an very much intense like fundraising time and my mom again is massively to thank for that like she was the one organizing all the balls she organized the give to Leah hand appeal where we'd basically find celebrities who would draw around their hands and do like a little hand print and it was called give to Leah hand appeal and they do like their own little signatures I know we had some like cool ones from like JK Rowling where each finger was like an individual character and so all these celebrities were really making them their own Mm -hmm. and then we'd auction them off and it was actually really really successful um but yeah it it took it took a big turn from like the hook type prosthetic to the really Mm -hmm. realistic ones and what was really exciting was the fact that I could take them into school mm-hmm. and I was always the most popular kid in the playground because it was interesting that Tilly didn't have hands yesterday but she's got hands today and I always thought that was really exciting and it's just the little things when you're four years old being able to hold your friend's hand yeah, and I would just run around thing. the playground and like hold my friend's hand and there was so much joy in that but the thing with these prosthetics is they weren't very practical and the functionality was very, very limited. Mm -hmm. And before I even got them, I was offered time and time again, just a glove. And I was like, yeah, but it doesn't do anything. The function. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, all it feels there is like, you're trying to mask something that you're ashamed of. That's Mm -hmm. different. Like they were, I feel like my whole life, especially when I was younger, it was constantly being given like a glove to mask that difference. And then even when a hand that eventually moves, its functionality is so limited and all the attention is going on how it looks so mm-hmm. that you look normal or how you should look, quote unquote. I feel like that definitely could easily take a subconscious toll on like anybody growing up like that because it's almost like you're constantly being told that you need to look like everybody else just so you can fit in and have a normal life when really that wasn't the case it's almost like saying let's just give you this arm so no one stares at you you know never mind that you can't actually be independent and and do Mm -hmm. basic functional stuff you know and like you said that reinforces the message that your biggest problem is that you don't look like everyone else and yeah. that's that's not right, you know. And I was just thinking about when we are kids, we don't ask our parents, how do we pick up a cup? How do we scratch our face? We we just sort of do it and, and we learn through repetition. For you growing up without hands, did you did you ask your parents or did you find your own way? Like how how did that unfold for you? Um, I always kind of found my own way, I think. I mean, obviously there was a bit of both, it was a mixture. But like when I was at school and we were all learning like handwriting for the first time, obviously there was nobody there to be like, oh, this is how you do it without hands, you know, because everyone's got hands at my school. So 
I I didn't really get this like guidance in that you should hold it here um, in between your arms in this way and that will be better. I just kind of learned with everybody else. I've actually got quite nice handwriting, I'm not going to (laughs) lie. But I did find that when I was getting used to my boner comms here today, I kind of, I don't know where the correct finger placement is to kind Mm -hmm. of hold a makeup brush or a fork. And so I'd be like, to my mom, right, how would you hold this in your hand? Because I've never had to think about that before. Mm-hmm. And now I've got fingers, I need to know like where to put them. And it's really interesting because if people go on your Instagram, you're you're very good at makeup. You know, you're not you're not just kind of, you know, some some of us aren't very good at eye makeup, some of us don't know how to <laughs> put a wave in our hair, but you're exceptionally good at it. And is it right, even though, you know, obviously you've said your fingers aren't there, but, but you still feel them as as if they're there, is that right? Yeah. Like I can feel my fingers and all throughout my life, I remember like being with my friends and like going shopping together and things like that. If we were to take a selfie right then and there, automatically I would throw a peace sign in the air and the fingers aren't there, but I can feel in my arm when it is a peace sign, I'm doing a peace sign. But now what's really cool is that I can do a peace sign and it actually be there and people Mm -hmm. understand what's going on and that's just another form of expression you know that people take for granted Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah big part of communication and and like you said relating to your friends and expressing how you feel we we, we should actually talk about your hero arms because we you know we got to the point where you said you realized the prosthetics that were being given to you weren't enough and then you got fitted with the hero arms at nine years old and you were the first child in the UK um, to do this. And that was it because you were working with them, you were developing the arms in the first place, were you? Yeah. So previously I'd worked with other prosthetic companies, like the really realistic ones that I was wearing. I was giving kind of my feedback to because I realized that what was being offered right now and right then wasn't enough, but I didn't want to just be like, this isn't enough. I'm dipping and I'm out. I wanted to help and make sure there is going to be something that's going to be enough for people and is actually going to really really help them in their day-to-day life and so I was working with these other prosthetics but everything was just kind of stuck and I think in my head I had all these crazy ideas for everything that could be and could really really help but technology was just not there yet and so at that point I'd kind of had to take a break but in the meantime I didn't want to just sit back and do nothing so I decided to make a list of like all the things that I really wanted or didn't want in my next prosthetic hand and I was always kind of brainstorming the next big thing then when I was nine years old we stumbled across Open Bionics and they put an appeal out online looking for a child below the elbow amputee in the UK to help them develop their prosthetics and they were doing really cool things at the time one of the things on my list was that they didn't have to look so lifelike the prosthetics and they should they could actually be really 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 cool like you see in like marvel films and things like Mm -hmm. that i was kind of like why are we shying away from that so much because my 10 year old self is like all for an iron man arm you know what i mean and they were working with disney at the time they were making iron man arms and elsa from frozen arms and i just remember me and my mom feeling really really excited because we were like here are a company for the first time who seemed to have the same visions as us that is prosthetics aren't something that should hide a difference or mask it or help us to blend in anymore but they can actually really accentuate that difference in the most beautiful way in Mm -hmm. a way that feels authentic and cool to each and every user and when when we went down to the lab to meet these people um, on Monix for the first time and they picked me to help them develop their prosthetics 
I was just so excited and I remember putting the hand on, which was only a prototype at the time, but I remember putting it on for the first time and just feeling like an instant like superhero, mm -hmm. instant adrenaline, instant excitement. And I was just like, this is going to be the start of something huge. And this is exactly where we should be right now. It's the right direction. And I just wanted to help as much as possible. And you did, and it was the part of something huge because because of you and all that you did, you didn't just get bionic arms. Other children got fitted with them because of you. Um, and, you know, it sort of changed the lives of, I guess, potentially thousands of child amputees and, and it will in the future as well. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. I kind of, my kind of role in the company um, is like basically to wear the bionic arms every day and then give brutally honest feedback on what's mm -hmm. really, really great, really sucks, what I hate in the arm, what I love in the arm or like any ideas for like potential upgrades, what I think would be really, really helpful. And I've actually invented like certain things in the arm. One of my most notorious being like the freeze mode, which basically is like if you want to hold something and you want that confirmation that it's not going to open at any point, you can actually freeze it in okay. place. And now people are wearing them in the daily, on the daily in like France and uh -huh. in Germany and in Spain and in, in America. And when I hear people say like their favorite feature is the one that I put into the arm and it really, really helps them and it makes their life way easier when they just know that they can trust the arm and it be like that extra bit reliable like that's amazing because yeah. it's helped me but it's also helping a lot of other people as well and so I do feel quite smug about it <laughs> but anyway it's really good to see yeah yeah and also it doesn't change you know you've been through a lot of pain mentally and physically you've suffered a lot I'm sure you still do to this day and it doesn't change that it doesn't take that away but it's like sometimes in life we have to look for purpose in pain because we can't eliminate it, you know, and whenever, yeah. whenever like, oh, I'm so glad this happened to me because of X, Y, Z. But when you find purpose in your situation and you leave a legacy like you're doing, you know, you're impacting people, like you said, internationally who you might never even meet, but you are playing a part in their life. And it really kind of leads me to this question. Like we talked at the start of this pod about being inspiring and it not really being a choice. And you not remembering the early years and it's something that just happened to you and your family. But I do wonder if like fighting something when you're such a tiny baby, if it does almost give you that edge. And I know you believe in things happening for a reason. What do you believe about somebody being a strong person? Do you think those early years as a baby made you strong? Do you think being strong was something you had to work at in at school age? Or what's your belief about sh strong people? Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's a big question. And I feel like it will be different for everybody. I feel like strength comes a lot from a lot of things. I feel like strength comes from how you talk to yourself mentally as well. Like when I was little and I was in primary school in the first years, I would always sit on the bench on my own. And I think my problem was that I was really shy. I didn't want to ask anybody to play because I was scared they were going to say no. And that makes me think now looking back on it, whether that was a kind of deep rooted feeling of rejection. I'm going to be rejected because of this difference about me. And I wasn't aware of that at the time, but it's it's definitely a potential like possibility. You know what I mean? 
And I remember at one point, I was four years old and I was, I remember having a pep talk with myself on the bench. And I was like, Tilly, you are going to be alone forever if you do not just pluck up the courage and ask somebody to play. So what if they say no? And I remember, I vividly remember giving myself a whole pep talk and just being like, you just need to get over this and you need to go and ask somebody to play and you can you could just be be fine and it'll be fine you know I remember giving myself that pep talk when I was four years old and do four-year-olds give themselves pep talks to like no, talk my to f- friends no my four-year-old won't even tidy up her toys and she's still oh. like, wheeze <laughs> on the floor <laughs> I think that's incredible like you know you talk about maturity and growth I think that's incredible like insight and to, it's self-awareness you know like at four to be able to f- live in the present but think about the future and you know to, to be able to say that to yourself it it, sh- it it does show this crazy maturity I mean you're only 16 now but talking to you it doesn't feel like that how old do you feel how old do I feel I feel like a good like 63 I'm not gonna lie <laughs> like I've been 63 for like a whole like 10 years as well <laughs> Yeah, I get that. I get that. Because, you know, we we laugh, but actually you're right. When you have a medical journey, that is what people in their 60s, 70s and 80s go through. And Mm -hmm. that's normal at that stage of life. And it's not the run of the mill at 16. Um, So I do do understand why you say that. It's funny talking to you. It feels like you're very empowered. You're very confident. Is that the right words to describe you? Do you identify with, with that? confidence has always been an issue for me um I was always really really shy but looking back on that now I've come so so far I mean sometimes I still do need to give myself little pep talks and I'm like four-year-old Tilly I'm like come on you could do it but to me I feel like confidence has definitely been a journey but it's it's one that I'm still on as well like there's still so many things about myself that I still need to accept and there's still like down days where I don't accept things that I thought I'd already accepted you know um, I always remind myself that it's things I can't change, so I should just get over it and be happy with what I've got. Um, but it's you still like jump bump into hurdles. I mean, especially being on social media so much. Um, they've got all these filters at the minute, don't they? Mm-hmm. And they're always floating around. Comparison is definitely an, a thing, especially now I'm like a teenager. I think that was like the biggest thing when I was like 13, 14 that I struggled with a lot. Um, so I, I do catch myself sometimes comparing myself and I need to like slap myself on the wrist and be like Tilly but they're them you're you and yeah we're, we're separate you know and you're an individual what is life if you're not gonna like walk around strut with your head high you know even with the bonacombs now I love them so much because they accentuate the difference yes, and yeah. there's so much confidence in that they make me feel so confident because it's like I'm finally not only accepting who I am, but I'm also showing the world unapologetically and blinging it up with diamonds and like glammed up cases because I've got some sparkly ones and they're like the, my pride and joy of life. So yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun with it. I'm having a lot of fun with it now. Well, I think you're right because you're talking about taking ownership and being in the driving seat. Yeah. You know, you coming on this podcast and talking like this, people will be listening that had no idea and didn't understand any of this. And by being able to educate people in the street, which isn't your duty every day, some days you don't want to do that and that's perfectly mm-hmm. fine. But you're right. The only way forward is to make more people understand understand this and educate and inform them because people stare at what they don't know what they don't understand um Mm -hmm. 
And I really relate to what you're saying um, about comparison. And I think people with a disability will relate to this, but people with what we would class as a normal life will relate to this too, that sometimes people are obsessed with us all being the same and fitting in. And if I lose weight, I'll fit in. If I buy this top, I'll fit in. If I change my, if I look like everyone else, if I get my lips injected, I'll look like other people. But fitting in doesn't happen. And also even trying to do it, and even if you think you achieve it, doesn't equal happiness. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, for me, I went on the same journey where why don't I look like her? Why do I have these medical problems? Why can't I see properly? Why can't I move my neck? And in the end, I got to the same point of view where I was like, stop trying to compare and just accept. It's not even my journey. I can't even compete in the race. I can't even try to be like her or be better or even just be the same as her. Just forget it and say, actually, do you know what? This is my life. That's her life. And I'll, and I'll run my own race. And I think when you start just competing with yourself and saying like, I'm not yesterday or last week was bad. It's going to be better this week. You start to actually win and have some success yeah, and happiness, 100%. you know, otherwise you just set yourself up for failure and you'll always never feel good enough, you know? Yeah, totally agree. I mean, it, it could be so easy to be wrapped up in that this day and age, but mm -hmm. like you say, you are, you should be your only competition. And yeah. as long as you're better than you are yesterday, and even if you're not, because like it isn't linear all the time. Mm -hmm. Like as long as you're focusing on yourself and not of people, I think it's just, it's about having that focus on you and mm -hmm. how to better you for you, not for others as well. And it takes a lot of energy to be you. And then you're reserving that energy rather than using it for like dissatisfaction or envy or sadness. You're reserving that energy to sort of show up every day and get through every day in the, in the yeah. best way possible. Yeah. It, it feels quite, I mean, that that's why I feel that you're positive because it's not about walking around smiling every day saying, oh, I fit in. I'm no, I feel normal. You're sort of positive because <laughs> you're real, you're realistic, you're authentic and you're doing it. And I suppose, you know if I had a daughter in your situation I would love to show her you and say it's not easy but here's Tilly showing up every day doing it for real and I think yeah. that's that's living for me yeah. that is living you know 100% totally agree mm. and we should talk a little bit about what, what you're living what you're doing because you are really getting out there and living you've done some of your GCSEs already is that right yeah, so I've got I've got my last my last set in May. I've got four more, and then I'm done. That's <laughs> um, good. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Woohoo. So that's good. I mean, I've I've got all like maths and everything out of the way now, so I'm very happy about that. I'm just doing like psychology, science, um, French, and English literature, and then I, and then I've sorted. Nice. <laughs> so what's what's the goal? What do you know? What you want to do in the future? I know it's still young, sixteen, but you are sixty three technically, so you should be retiring soon. Yeah. See, see, what what I like to say, the best way to describe myself is that I'm mentally mature but emotionally unprepared. <laughs> that, that's what I like to say. I feel like that every day when I wake up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, literally. Um, I, I'm all over the place. <laughs> Honestly, I'm. I don't really know exactly what I want to do right now. All I know is that I want to keep working on social media, keep sharing my story, raising an, as much awareness as possible. Um, I really want to write a book. Mm. I feel like that would be great. Um, I, I want to keep working with Open Burnix, of course. That's always going to be like my main priority is bettering the technology, getting it the best it can possibly be for not only myself, but everybody out there in the world who needs it, you know? and relies on that for their independence like that is so so important to me and that's been my mission ever since ever since I was like four so I'm, I'm definitely not gonna let that go 
as long as all bionics will keep me I'm sure they will (laughs) I'm sure they will well I think the future sounds really bright because I think you're doing what you've always done you're multitasking you're spreading yourself across all the things that you're good at and actually that that's the modern world for young people now that's what they do you know people don't just go and do one thing one job you're putting so much into the world not just for yourself you know you're helping other people so I feel um really privileged thank you for giving us your time today it's you've been like the podcast says extraordinary so thank you so much thank you for having me oh my gosh <laughs> I, can't, I can't wait to listen to this but i follow you on instagram now so i need to follow you as well just basically for outfit inspiration <laughs> <laughs> i looked at your profile today i was like i really like those knee-high white boots i wonder where they're from i wonder if she's tagged them <laughs> Thanks for listening to Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. If you haven't already, please follow where you get your podcasts. Also, if you enjoyed this, please help us spread the word. Rate and review the show or share on your socials.